hello this is kelly mcgee and today's date is 10 12 2020 and we're listening to the vatican creators and it has to do with the anunnaki and this is the final part for 28,000 years okay by themselves and that wasn't how long they lived that's how long they served this is the original genetics i believe from the, from the pre-flood of the sumerian kings list all of them uh, lived that long so i think there was some probably tweakage that went on after the flood to limit the human populace because if everybody lived that long imagine how big the populace could be and right? I, oh it'd be crazy and they're really maybe that's why they want to limit it to 500 million people so those 500 million that they choose they can give them lifespans of 100,000 earth years that's possible I mean if you're a dedicated uh, worker to these higher level echelon uh, Anunnaki guess what happened to Noah when they discovered him he was a he was he was actually born uh, 50% Anunnaki DNA since his father was Anki and his mother was a primitive worker uh, a regular human I should say that said a primitive worker <laughs> and uh, her name was Batani well, <laughs> well, well he didn't get the he didn't get the mitochondrial DNA that Gilgamesh did and then in, in the epic of Gilgamesh if you read that story Gilgamesh seeks out uh, this being who is the he, he, he calls him uh, Utnapishtim okay that's his name for Noah uh, in his culture at the time now, we know he had many other names, Udnapishtim, Ziasudra, and Atrahasis were just other names for Noah. Well, he sought this guy out because he knew his DNA was more virile than Noah's DNA because he, he was only 50%, and Gilgamesh knew he was at least two-thirds because of his mother Ninsun was a full-blown Anunnaki goddess. And when he found out as the king of Aruk uh, that the king of Shurupak got eternal life after the flood, he was he wanted that for himself and that's that's one of the key stories about noah is he was given eternal life and i don't think a lot of people realize that by enlil and enki when they were present <laughs> when they discovered him and this so, is talked about in the epic of gilgamesh well yeah so well actually no that's in the atrahasis tablets you'll read that and i think it's in tablet 11 okay, okay. where where uh finally uh enlil and all his clan had taken off into their low earth orbiting craft and they were sur- surveying the flood damage uh, after this flood came that he asked his brother Poseidon Anki to bring, which he didn't. But apparently to Buru's passage, looks like it was responsible for causing it. And they swore an oath not to tell anybody because they wanted them all dead, to the, or Enlil did. And many of these council members didn't agree with that oath. Even how, though, how do you, you spell know, that? Sorry to interrupt. The Astra, the tablet. Astrahasis? Yeah. A-T-R-A. Okay. A-T-R-A-H-A-S-I-S. It's actually uh, on display in, I believe it's a museum in London. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, I just wanted to... Yeah, I believe it's in the British Museum, or this one is in the University of Philadelphia. I'll have to look. When you get down to the actual samples, you can be able to tell. Okay. But but yeah, this is a very good story, and especially uh, the one I took from the University of Oxford with Stephanie Dolly. There's just... Because she did a lot of analysis of the name Atrahasis and connected it with many other stories, but uh, it's such a famous story. Okay. Well, when you find out that Atrahasis was Noah and that the reason that Gilgamesh was coming to see him was he wanted the secrets to eternal life that he got. And that whole story is really fascinating. Uh, 
clearly something about Gilgamesh as the king. Uh, he found this uh, prickly seaweed, it seemed like, that was growing in the shallow oceans that uh, Utnapishtim or Noah told him about. And uh, Gilgamesh got this and was heading back to the These city of Uruk when he had an encounter with it looks like symbolically Hanky that took it away from him. So they did not, not want him to have eternal life, and they, they prevented it from happening, even though he found the concoction that they were using to make their elixir of some sort. Do you think there was gold in that elixir, some type of monotonic? Well, well, it's interesting. In the Adapa tale, Anu um, offers uh, the, the first Adam, the Adapa, three different things. He offers him the f- food of life, the elixir of life, and then or the bread of life, the elixir of life, and then some sort of oil that he's supposed to rub on himself. So there's a drink that they're drinking and some sort of bread that they're taking. And I believe this bread has a lot to do with the same bread that is described in Hathor's temple on Mount Serebet el Kadim, which is Mount Sinai, okay? We found Hathor's temple there, and Lawrence Gardner clearly exposed that they had found massive amounts of this white talcum-like powder that they were not sure what it was until they figured out it was a byproduct of smelting gold with stibium. This is your famed starfire gold that the elite were making into conical bread cakes that was shown on the temple walls and the ritual attendants were consuming this stuff. Well, this is the starfire gold that uh, got disclosed to the world what they were doing to change their lifespans, change their mental processes, whatever they were doing. Because a monoatomic element when consumed is a superconductor. Now imagine what that must do to your neural processes. And you also offer something like that or similar to that on your website, don't you? Yeah, when I first found out about this stuff, I was fascinated that uh, apparently the Anunnaki were aging on the Earth and that they were not comfortable with that aging rapid process that they were experiencing versus, you know, if they were in a 3,600-year orbit, uh, that's how they used to age relative to us. And that's a weird thing to think about, that your age has to do with the orbital diameter of your planet around the sun. How weird is that? Okay, but that's what they're saying. So the idea that this this elixir, this mixture of uh, talcum-like powder that was derived from gold could have any effect on your body, I was really fascinated by this. So I looked into it pretty heavily. Um, read David Hudson's patent. Uh, he was a guy who discovered it uh, here in the United States. And then um, he really didn't he didn't really foreign foreign file his patent. Actually, he was out of Europe. He didn't foreign file his patent, so a bunch of people discovered this patent, started reading the secrets of it, and then came up with the same, if not more efficient ways to get a monoatomic element from a uh, derived from a transition metal. Okay, and all the transition metals, the heavy metals, actually you can produce this from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are six six different ones, including silver and gold and platinum and iridium and rhodium and all uh, uh, and that whole that whole platinum group okay so uh, so people started doing this and they learned the secrets of alchemy on how to produce this several years ago well much much to do with uh, the disclosure from Lawrence Gardner and also from David Hudson's patent so I studied this patent got really interested realized I could make this myself but before I did that we uh, well, actually, we did that, and then we realized that while we were on travel so much, it was very hard to get these kind of products uh, stocked on a shelf and keep them there as people wanted them. So finally, we worked very closely with an alchemist after I got to know him, uh, a Berkeley graduate, really bright guy, who uh, 
clearly share the same ideas about evolution of consciousness and the relationship to the truth that I did. And so we down selected him to help us make it, and we've been doing that ever since. Yeah, uh, but it's our but it's our private label, and it's actually Krista's product, so she kind of heads those up. Do you take that stuff on a regular basis? Yeah, um, and I used to tell people, you know, don't go jacking yourself up on Starfire Gold thinking you're going to arrive to uh, enlightenment just by doing that alone. It's gonna, <laughs> uh, okay. I love it, man. I can see God. But it is, a, it is a very, very effective way to help you start distinguishing your natural energy from what's possible because when you take a monoatomic like this, it... It has definite effects, and they may you may not feel them right away, but over a short period of time, uh, it could. If you take too much of it, for instance, I can't even imagine eating an entire bread cake made out of uh, starfire gold. This is like eating a philosopher's stone. Okay, that's <laughs> it's the same thing, by the way. Alchemists have known this for a very long time too. Oh. That the oh. effect of taking this stuff seems to trigger the alchemical process that's represented by. Alchem, who is Thoth, in his Caduceus. It triggers oh. a, a change in the state of the body energetically. And this, it may trigger heightened chakra functioning and all kinds of things. What, what I see happening is it, uh, it very much, uh, for people who pay attention to how they feel, especially people who are doing yoga and eating well, when they take this stuff, it, it practically gives them an out-of-body experience, okay? <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, it's pretty intense. Other people that don't pay attention to that, they don't feel anything. But the people that it does affect, they usually, if they take too much, for instance, we'll talk about dosing. If you take more than six drops a day of a single monoatomic element, uh, you might be exceeding it. It might start affecting your sleep, and you'll probably start noticing you've got a stack of books next to your bed that, <laughs> that you're experiencing a syndrome we call hermeticism. Okay, <laughs> so you got yourself wound up a little too much. Okay, so it's good to notice that and back off your dosage because it can make you pretty, I don't know, kind of like very excitable about everything, if you know what I'm saying. This makes you more wanting to learn and understand things, it's you like, say? Yeah, yeah, but it does it at a mental level, like you were taking an energy drink, you know. And it's not short-lived. It'll it lasts for a while. And we usually put like six drops of the M1. That's one monoatomic element, okay, uh, as a source in our coffee. Six drops in the morning. Sometimes more if we're doing a show. And then, uh, then uh, if you take it too close to bed, though, watch out because it, it can affect sleep. But uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, very heightened uh, mental activity, including alternative brainwave experiences and dreams. Oh, Absolutely. So, you know, it's like a superconductor is just that. It uh, it makes the resistance to electricity very, almost minimal. It's a, it's a lossless system. So all of a sudden you do that to all your neurons inside your brain, all your uh, electrical conduction ganglia that are related to your chakras. And, and just do and when you do that, it very much heightens your sense of energy, okay? Uh, you can't explain that to somebody, but when they feel it, they know it, okay? So the, these products sell very well. Actually, Krista has difficulty sometimes keeping them in stock, but uh, there's so many testimonials on these products. And, you know, uh, she uh, she has other ones, too, but uh, she's always working on different ones. And, you know, Krista's funny. She's, she's an alchemist with food. So, you know... You look at these products and go, well, how do these make you feel? Well, she does the same thing, 
experimenting with food to see how it makes you feel. And that's ultimately how we ended up being vegan. We, we were both vegetarian when we met. Uh, I think it was about 2008 or nine. Now, what, and, is, what is her website? Uh, her website's artisticvegan.com. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, artisticvegan.com. And she, uh, she just actually got uh, picked up today by Shape Magazine that's going to start carrying some of her blogs. And she blogs practically every day, putting out different uh, vegan solutions. Uh, And she talks about alchemy sometimes, but I I, I would like to see her talk more about alchemy and the actual transformative effects that a vegan diet can have. We're disease-free. We don't have any problems. We feel great. Uh, take absolutely no medications. Yeah. And and that's accessible, I think, to everyone if they would just give it a try. Because uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, disease and hormones and things in processed food and meats and fish and dairy and all that kind of stuff that you may not have any idea about. So until you experience not having it, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> so I'll tell you, man, that what she's got on the website, these... These dishes look absolutely fantastic, and they also look extremely good for you. I'm looking at the vegetable fried rice right yeah, now. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's funny. It's funny. People can, can go on the blog. They can figure out what, what I'm having three times a day <laughs> because she, she's so prolific. And she actually started doing some videos, too, on her YouTube channel. Oh, that's which, great. Uh, now, is it the yeah, same yeah. artistic vegan on YouTube as well? I think it's Krista Clark is how it comes up. You can look up artistic vegan or Krista Clark. And okay. She comes up on YouTube. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, but uh, she just did. Oh, this one, this one is the one that just ended up Gold. in uh, Shade Magazine. Uh, these wonderful little, she calls them hand hand pies. Imagine having something like that. Where there's no gluten in the flour. The flour is good for you. It's full of protein. I need that. It's got natural fruit inside with no sugar added. And these things are the bomb. <laughs> the problem is keeping them around the house when you make stuff like this. You know, so. That's delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can, you know, when you tell somebody you're vegan and all they can think about I is what it. kind of salad do you have? I mean, good grief. I mean, use your imagination a little bit. She's got hundreds Colloidal and hundreds gold. and hundreds of different solutions for people. I'm going uh, for and, it, you know, baby. I, I, actually, I actually love the way we eat. <laughs> I don't talk about it very much, but uh, I am. I'm very lucky to have somebody like Krista that makes sure she pays attention to what Enhances we're eating and how it affects our and awareness. Body. That's Look awesome. And certainly it'll yeah. make a difference if you eat good, healthy, quality uh, of life. You'll feel better, sleep better, have more energy. Mentally, you'll be more astute and on par with the well, exactly. that that's, that's, around you. I need all exactly. of that's, that's actually why I just did my latest show. I did it on the human antenna consciousness and energy and the reason i did that is exactly this when you start doing things you don't have to do it all at once when you start doing things that uh, affect your energy and you pay attention to that that's how you're going to get to the highest place in this evolution of consciousness game is by understanding that it's the game and that you can play yeah it's that first one that's got the little chart on it uh, down below there rex you got it on your seven broadcast so that that show right there i just did um, I actually showed um, some of I the get a headache from these uh, effects of your structure, and, and I have an imaging system I that I, I used to use called Polyg. Yeah, right there at that point, right there, I've actually got images of Krista before skull. and after her structure work, and, and how this all relates to the human energy. Uh, it's so all connected, and, and we can be resp- a lot more responsible for how far we take that energy than um, oh, that's and what we've been taught in culture. Okay, so. 
just learning what gravity is and learning to integrate it with it in your body can have a massive uh, effect on uh, what energy you feel. So I went over that and the equations of that. I know we've talked a little bit about that before, but uh, so I did that show specifically for that reason. Um, and then, uh, toward, yeah, yeah. So I hope everybody watches that. It's very different than the Anunnaki and the Brewery stuff. That I read, but believe it or not, the, uh, uh, these slides came from a. Part of them came from a conference I did down in oh, Chichen Itza last year, and, like it uh, there's there's so much good information in the conferences that I've done that I haven't really shared. So I'm going to probably start uh, sharing some of that as well. So thanks for going to the web or the YouTube thoughts. channel, Rex, and showing that. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. It's great to have you on the show. Every time you come on, you just really every single time, man. You never you never get boring, Gerald. I find that pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well let's try I to keep it because if we're getting the place where we're great. boring yeah. each other, then we need to take more time apart and gather more data before we share. Right. That's all. Absolutely, man. I agree 100 percent. So, you know, this is great. I would recommend our listeners go to Gerald Clark 77.com. Also, if you want to get access to some of this amazing Holy work, Lord. make sure to use the discount leak this? project under the storefront um now gerald before we close out tonight man is there anything that i missed or should have asked that i didn't in regards to this connection of what maro Bellino put together and your works in relations to the anunnaki and nibiru well i think maybe just doing a summary conclusion of what we were attempting to do and what we found might be helpful um he used source documents uh, some of which I didn't use. He used the Masoretic text, but also used the Sumerian documents. Um, I've ob- obviously been looking at all the versions of the Bible. I've read the Quran. I've uh, read I'm many of the hair, so supplemental books from it. various religions on what they believe to be true. And the fact that we come from two different cultures, he speaks a different language, mm-hmm. and that we arrived at the same answer, at, you know, pretty much in the same time See. frame, which is interesting That's in and of itself cool. <laughs> that we came up you know that we're so uh, within a, a very close proximity i think answer. those kind of synchronicities are meant for you know our past to notice that but what what i what i would say mm-hmm. is that i don't want people to hear new information through a filter that causes them automatically to become repulsed by it because if it challenge if it challenges you and you you build up resistance, that doesn't mean you have to accept it. But you need you at least need to be a good enough student to put your eyes on it and make a, a informed choice about where your path is going, right? And and I, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm only interested in going to a higher path, the highest place that we can go. As a, you know, it's like the army taught us: be all you can be <laughs> in this avatar body. So uh, that's what you know, and that goes for the truth too, because. Listen, you're only limited in this life by what you're willing to learn. I, I learned that a long time ago. If you're learning to learn something and get a new skill, then you can be a, you can have a different role. And that's true with information as well at the very highest levels. You can have a different role as an avatar relative to what you know to be true so you can focus on the things that are very, very important, that are eternal, that are infinite, versus worrying about materialism and what's on TV and who's playing the next sports game. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy that, but but that shouldn't be your primary focus. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite songs, and it makes so much sense, it was written by Trent Reznor, and then I think Johnny Cash did a version after. It it goes, you could have it all, my empires of dirt, 
I will let you down. I will make you hurt. And mm. those words still cause the hair on my arms to stand up because it reminds me of this plastic world, this fake mm-hmm. reality that we live in where people strive to be great with their Rolls Royce, Mercedes-Benz, Bentley, Ferrari, whatever. And that's all awesome. I'd love to have all that stuff too. But there's really no balance anymore with many people. And I think that you're doing a good job bringing that out, you know, helping people realize there are options and alternatives to what they've been force-fed their whole life. Yeah, I wanted to bring up one last thought I just had. As as a result of me doing this show, talking about human energy and pointing out the attributes that clearly the creator of all and probably some geneticists that came after him uh, did for us, uh, I was was basically given a, a discussion comment that I'm really tired of people trying to be God. And I thought about that for a moment. I was like, wow, really? There's a difference between having an instance of an energy source from the creator of all such that you become what you can become. You know, what you were created to become was an archetype. Become that. That doesn't mean you're replacing the being that created you. That just means you've gotten to a place where you realize you're you're an instance of that creator and you then venerate them. So how Just that guy misconstrued to see that, and what in and general say I'm that. saying is, the idea that for us to be all that we can be, and that somehow that we're promoting ourselves as the creator of all—that's ludicrous. That's ludicrous, and that's the kind of stuff that's being said in discussion boards. And <laughs> I just want to put a fork in that right now. That that's that's absurd. So be all you can be is what I'm telling you. That doesn't mean that. You're the creator of all, but you are certainly an instance of the creator of all, and the expectation is that you should animate that. So work toward perfection. That doesn't mean you'll ever get there, but that should be your goal. Or stay suppressed and continue to feel that if you can think outside of your typical senses, then it's something evil or demonic. And, you know, hey, that's cool too, right? I mean, it's... Well, it comes down to to responsibility for information. Some people won't take responsibility for their finances, so they'll farm that out to an accountant. Some people won't take responsibility for finding the meaning of life, but they'll farm that out to the current priests of society, the physicists, the scientists, or the government, or their old favorite uh, religious leaders. Well, first of all, I just want to tell everyone that you individually are responsible for your reality and finding your meaning. It's, it's, It's unique to you. So the fact that you go and join a group and try and do it, You've you've already screwed up. You've already screwed up. That doesn't mean you can't share with a group, but they are not the source of you finding your meaning. You are. So get busy. (laughs) Know thyself. That's what it's all about. Yes, it is. Right on. Absolutely. Know thyself. Well said, Gerald. Appreciate you coming on the show. Folks, okay, brother. Hey, uh, thank you so much. And folks, pick up your copy of The Seventh Planet. Mercury Rising, check out the latest episode of 7th Planet Broadcasting, Gerald Clark, 77.com. Also, don't forget to go to leakproject.com, become a contributing member. You'll have access to commercial-free podcasts, over 200 of them. You can upload one, you can upload all of them. It's up to you. Be the change you want to see, folks. This is Rex Bear. Talk to you soon. Okay, so when I get my Nagamadi, Nagamadi text... I'll um, try to read parts of it to you that I feel that you may find interesting. What I'll be looking for is, you know, I already read all of Sitchin's books, 
and so I'll be looking for some parallelisms and I'll let you know what I find. So that'll be interesting, maybe. Okay, thanks for listening.